Good morning, good day, and good evening. I am, as always, your host, Brody Robertson, and today, this is episode 119 of Tech of a T, and unlike, unlike the way I normally do this, we actually have a guest here today, and as Baby Wogue would say, some KDE dev. Welcome to the show. How about you give yourself a, a proper introduction? Yeah, so... Uh, mostly in the Linux world, my work is re- my work is related to KDE. I actually just started a couple of years ago, but I really got involved, especially in visual design. Nowadays, I mostly work on the KDE panel. Uh, and uh, as an example, in the last Plasma release, which is coming in just a few weeks, I made sure that uh, you can make the panel floating, which is something that only Latterdoc used to have. So I saw I work on that sort of stuff. I also do uh, promotion work and. Uh, in my personal life, I just do anything. I study mathematics, I write poetry, all sorts of things. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know you did that. Sorry, where I was going. I was going to say something. I forgot. Right. Uh, the way we use, the way like both of us use Linux is kind of like really different. I'm sort of like a mainly a, a window manager guy. I use a fairly minimal system. You've gravitated towards using... KDE and you know you you live inside of a desktop environment I kind of want to know why well firstly when did you actually start using Linux I started using Linux uh, about uh, three years ago maybe four and uh, it was actually mostly out of curiosity Mm. and even back then my uh, reasons were not very that one of my reasons why I was actually scared to start using Linux is that I Third Linux was just Ubuntu, and the UI of Ubuntu didn't seem that pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, that's not good, re- good reason to actually not try it. And probably the reason why I chose KDE is that it's so customizable. I actually went ahead and tried some window managers, but when I actually started doing development, I always try to be that user that isn't very experienced with Linux. So I try to like use Discover to do up- updates to see actually what the user would uh, see, because I do want Linux to be as user-friendly as possible. So I, I should see uh, what the user who doesn't know how, use, uh, how to use the command line would actually see Linux as. Yep, yep. Uh, did you initially start with... So you said you tried out some window managers. Did you start with KDE and then go to window managers or start on the window manager and go to KDE? What would you do there? I actually started with um, Ubuntu uh, Unity back okay. then. So that would have been then what version? I don't remember. <laughs> it was... Yeah, I think it was the version just before they dropped it. So, uh, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, like 17, 18, something like that? Probably, yeah, four years ago, so it makes sense. Yeah. And uh, then I, I actually switched to uh, GNOME, and I used GNOME for a month at least. And I was actually pretty happy with GNOME. And then I just tried, I, I just thought, I mean, if there's like Unity and GNOME, what if there's others? So I started trying like um, LXDE, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, until I uh, tried KDE. First time I saw KDE, I was like, this looks bad. I'm not going to use it. But then I discovered that you could customize it. And yeah, yeah. But since back then, KDE has improved a lot. So mm-hmm. I don't like, before I'd even used Linux, I don't think I'd ever even seen KDE like I was sort of in the same position you were where I saw Linux as basically either Ubuntu or the command line I feel like that's the way 
most people sort of see Linux from the outside. Yeah, and uh, with uh, such a niche uh, um, market share, it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, it's not necessarily that bad because I do think that Ubuntu is doing a good work mm -hmm. in actually having clean defaults that would make the user want to try it. Yeah. And when you get uh, a new user into Ubuntu, then they also probably will discover about other desktops as well. Mm -hmm. But of course, uh, if uh, KDE Plasma as well was uh, more acknowledged in a wider user base, then I would only be happy. So. Yeah, while I use window managers myself, I don't particularly have an issue with GNOME or with KDE or anything like that. I just tend to like sort of building up my system basically from scratch. I'm not here to, you know, offer the, I, I guess the, the, how would you describe it? Like a, offer feedback on the basic user experience you get on one, like one of those desktops. Like I'm sort of here showing you what you can do with Linux if you want to step outside of those, like, not necessarily cages, but those, like, defaults that a lot of users are going to sort of stick with. Yeah. And uh, arguably, KDE is probably, KDE Plasma, mm. uh, it's probably the desktop that allows you to get as close as possible to an experience when you can customize everything. Uh, which is why I think it's such a nice nice choice for so many people who are actually able to do their own thing yeah, since yeah. plenty of customization. And uh, but of course, if you want to like build your very much your own yeah, thing, yeah. you can start from scratch, and that's really fun. I, I never actually tried a lot with that yeah, because yeah. of the reason uh, I said before. But yeah. Well, you've got like actual things you want to get done. I've sort of turned wasting time building stuff on Linux into like the thing that I'm doing. But yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I've spoken to a lot of people that like show up on my Discord or my YouTube comments, things like that, who will use KDE, but they'll also just swap out KWIN for something else. Like they, they want to have that, that, yeah. I, <laughs> so not the experience wow. you're going to have, but they'll, they'll take KDE. They like the general KDE experience, but then they'll like stick i3 or something like that in there. And I didn't actually know that was a thing until like a year or so ago, really. No, it's possible to do that. I actually tried uh, back then, but uh, since I didn't know very very well how to use Windows Manager, uh, I actually used um, a KWIN ex extension that did uh, window tiling, but it's not the same thing. Mm. I think you, you probably know, um, what's the name again of the latest one? I don't remember. Bismuth, Bismuth, mm. uh, okay. which does tiling in KWIN. And... Um, yeah, but I mean, KDE is modular, so you can do a lot. Like, it's very funny also to see how much of KDE, KDE you can use, uh, KDE Plasma you can use in GNOME. Yeah. You can, like, bring KRunner, Latidoc with you, and it's <laughs> it's a bit of a mess, but I mean, it, it's really fun to build your own thing. Yeah, it's, the only concern is if you care about things, you know, theming together well. Like, you can get it working if you want to put that extra level of effort in but when you're crossing um like uh what's the word gui frameworks there we <laughs> when you're crossing gui yeah, frameworks you end up you end up giving yourself a lot more work to do to get those to to line up well yeah uh i, I gotta say that if you're doing some customization you well probably i think 99 percent of the users have to use uh, apps from Qt and JDK. Yeah, yeah. 
So they have to get involved with that anyway. KDE uh, does a lot to make sure that uh, JTK apps look uh, native in mm -hmm. KDE Plasma. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll be able to do to maintain that with Libat Writer, but uh, that has been a goal, uh, surely. And I, I think we did a good job. I mean, it's not me that worked on this, but the people who worked yeah, on this yeah. did a good job. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about Libad Waiter, and I just, it was one of those things which I sort of, I saw the controversy going on, and I just didn't pay any attention to it, because the way people were describing it didn't seem like there was anything really wrong with it. Like, it seemed like they were changing the way that theming was being done, because theming just didn't really exist before, and the way it was done was a, like kind of a hack that broke a lot of apps, but... Yeah, I, I don't know if I you have an opinion on that. Yeah, I actually haven't followed it much either, mostly because uh, I'm mostly focused on KD Plasma yeah, theming. Yeah. And I don't know, the discussion around it seemed so toxic. I didn't quite want to get involved. So I don't have a clear opinion either. Well, yeah, you don't want to get involved in conversations about anything involving Red Hat either or <laughs> anything involving Canonical either because they're not, <laughs> generally they're not helpful discussions. People just are screaming at each other just this is this is the only correct way to do it it doesn't matter what anyone else is saying my way is the correct way yeah I, i've seen already enough discussion about like uh, kd is the only good way to use linux yeah, and or yeah. no gnome is the only good way I'm like no no <laughs> just, just don't say that <laughs> well speaking of kd i think the first time it got a like a lot of really big attention, obviously with the Steam Deck now, but before that, a little bit earlier with um, the LTT uh, Linux series, which I know that you talked about back when that was happening. Yep, and it, it, inside of KDE, there was like, uh, oh no, LTT did a video about Hass again. <laughs> and most of the stuff that LTT said was negative. Uh, I think it was parts of the video, it tried to make the video positive again. Uh, I'm not really angry or anything to LTT. I think it, it was doing its job. And yeah. if my operating system had uninstalled itself while I was trying to install, what was that, a D Discord? Um, what was that again? I think what happened was... Uh, PopOS, because PopOS is that weird semi-rolling thing, and it doesn't line up with Ubuntu, so the version of Steam needed to roll back a dependency, and that dependency rollback caused a dependency unravel, which basically nuked everything. Yeah. I mean, just imagine that happening to a Linux user using Windows. Yeah. Like, you just install something on Windows, and Windows explodes. We would making so much fun of Windows, mm -hmm. and... <laughs> that was a, a bad start. When I actually started using KD Plasma, it, it was a bit better. Some of the criticism I didn't agree with, but um, the, at, at least we got a lot of att attention, and yeah. that's uh, surely good. So, I think yeah. I think that's probably the the best thing that came out of that. I, I did hear from a lot of people that even with the sort of opinion that Linus gave, I, I guess Luke gave much more neutral opinion about it i guess because he had some experience using linux in the past using it in like a development context but i still heard a lot of people saying that even with what linus said they were still interested in checking it out themselves to just see if it actually was going to be you know a mess of an experience or if the problems were just you know 
Linus specific problems, especially with how weird of like of a setup he's running himself. Um, you know, not just the Nvidia cards, but just everything with this setup where he had like he wasn't even he didn't have a computer in his room. It was running over a Thunderbolt connection or something, and just trying it on like a normal setup just to see if it actually was going to be like what the experience would actually be like. Yeah, no, I think the overall result is good. Like it was some uh, good advertisement. Again, I'm not angry with uh, LTT mm. at all. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, some of the criticism made developers go, no. <laughs> I can't <laughs> understand that from a developer perspective, especially when yeah. some of the feedback you're getting may not be, may not be structured in the best way. And may not be, yeah. it may not actually be a problem. Like there might be something that the user see, uh, thinks is missing or thinks is a problem here, but the way they're interacting with it isn't the way the dev had initially intended. But I, yeah. I think even that kind of feedback can still be useful because I like, I haven't done a ton of um, professional development, but I, I do know that. Uh, from what I have done, you can get yourself into a mindset as a dev where you think that this works and this is the way to do it until someone besides you actually tries it and you realize, wait, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like, why didn't I think of that as an interaction method? Yeah, yeah. No, that uh, happens a lot. Uh, sadly, it also happens a lot that users uh, think that they know, like, how KDE should work. Um, that's not an issue until you actually get in development chats and stop mm -hmm. other people work saying, okay, now do my idea because my idea is the best. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that before. There were like three or four people that got into the visual design room and they wanted to redesign all of KDE Plasma, mm -hmm. like all of it. And as much as I can understand the idea, that's not going to happen from one day to another. Yep. And they really wanted to start working on it, making mockups, which is fine, but there's no guarantee that we'll ever use them because currently we're improving Breeze. Mm. We like Breeze and we're working on that. So we it's very important to actually read the... Um, uh, feedback from the users, yeah. KDE developers actually read like our KDE, the subreddit and stuff like that. But there's also that moment where, where you step back and say, okay, but this is the user and the developer. Yeah. I know how this works and the user doesn't. And of course, the idea is to get the user involved when he wants to. And uh, as far as uh, criticism that doesn't quite work. A good example is Baby Vogue. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to get into Baby Vogue, that's for sure. There's no way we're going to skip out on that. Yeah. It's not very con constructive usually <laughs> at all. I think one, with the user feedback, I think users are great at pointing out where there's a problem, but not necessarily what the actual solution for that problem is. Because sure, you can say that like with the um, one of the things Baby Woke pointed out, the little mute icon on some of the things in KDE. Um, I think you could make an argument that maybe it should be, uh, you know, easier to see on the icons there or something like that. But just throw it away because I don't use it. Like that's not really a bit of that's not really helpful. 
Yeah, uh, that's true. Also, sometimes users do see a problem, problem um, and that's intentional because you can't actually support all of use cases. Mm, yeah. That's something that KDE has tried somewhat to do in the past, but it leads to so many options that you're not able to actually maintain them. And in the past, I've actually written comments saying, okay, uh, please don't add this option because it's too much work. And uh, of course, on Reddit, users come and say, this is KDE, you got to have all the options. And like, mm -hmm. no, and I get downvoted. So, but... <laughs> I think that's where it, it helps to have a, a powerful plugin system because there may be use cases that don't fit the the default and what the general user is going to want to have. Let's say, you know, back when um, there are a lot of people on GNOME who want to have a global menu and GNOME does not have global menus. They're, but at a time, back when, back before they broke it, uh, by making some changes, there was this plugin to add in global menus. And, you know, for the people who wanted that feature, they could go and use that then. Yeah, the issue with... Uh, right now, KDE has a theming system mm -hmm. that is uh, many of its components are designed to handle a theme, which could yeah. be plasma theme, a color scheme, anything. A plugin system is different. It actually goes and um, edits something that's not really meant to be edited mm -hmm. to add a certain fun functionality. And obviously, that's much more prone to breakage when you yeah. update the system. If somebody wanted to implement, like as an example, the floating panels, um, people wanted an option to make it more floating, which is understandable. And I actually offered one uh, in, a, in the plasma theme. And uh, I think that's the best approach because if you do want to see your panel more floating, you actually go and edit your theme. Mm -hmm. What they wanted is a UI option directly in panel settings, but there's already so many options and you just can transfer everything from the Plasma theme to the panel. Yeah. If you wanted to editing something completely different, which not even the Plasma theme covers, you would need to patch the Plasma uh, panel code, which changes at every release, which yeah, means yeah. that your patch has to be rebased at every release. So that's even more complex to make, uh, make it work. Yeah, okay. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. Like I... I know that it would be a, you know, it's, it's always nice to have certain things in your system, but some of those aren't always going to be, you know, realistic. I'm sure if, you know, if you had a team of people that came along who were like, you know what, we are going to be, we, we would like to develop this powerful plugin system and then maintain it going forwards. I'm sure that you would, like, it would be something that would be, you know, much more on the table, but just, you can't really take on this extra level of work without also compromising other parts of the system if there's no one else to, you know, help out with that work. Yeah, there is some discussion of um, uh, improving the theming system for Plasma 6. Um, there's lots of nice ideas and that in theory should make it much easier for users to actually edit your theme and do anything that the theme currently does. But um, that's far in the future. Uh, as yeah. far as I know, lately, nobody has worked on it. So it, it might be that Plasma 6 comes and there's nothing ready and we have to delay it. Yeah, yeah. So I know why you're using KDE, but 
Most people who decide to use a desktop environment, KDE, GNOME, XFC, it doesn't matter what it is, don't then also go and decide they want to actually, you know, develop it and help out with the community. Like, why did you decide to move on to do that as well? Well, uh, it started as me seeing that KDE was very customizable. So I started actually doing themes for KDE. And if you go to my like post history on um, R slash Unix porn, uh, I actually started doing some crazy customizations. And after I actually got enough skills to do a plasma theme, I was like, well, if I'm able to do a plasma theme, why is the default plasma theme broken? Because in my mind, it was. And one of my very first patches was um, completely changing the shadow, which is not like the main point. Yeah. But I actually did that two times. And I think I spent like six months total working on the shadow of KD Plasma. Mm -hmm. And I even did a video of like 15 minutes explaining how I worked on the shadows of mm -hmm. KD Plasma. So I think I'm a shadow expert at this point. And it's a minor detail, but... I think it was wrong before, and mm -hmm. that's kind of how we got me started. Like, I'm annoyed at something that's the default. I know how to change it, so I get involved. Mm -hmm. So what we usually tell users that want to get involved is uh, try to take something that annoys you personally, which is very small, and you go ahead and try to fix it. We can help you, and hopefully you're able to. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good point. Um, a lot of people who try to... It doesn't... Not just... Uh, desktop environment like KDE, but no matter what they're trying to sort of help out with, they'll try to take on something a lot larger than you'd expect as your first entry into that system. And then sort of, you see some people be surprised when their massive change doesn't get accepted. Like they have no experience with that, uh, working with that project. Maybe they have no experience with many other projects either, but they've got this idea and maybe the idea actually is good, but it's not, you can't really just jump straight in with making something like that as your first thing. Yeah, I always suggest before doing anything, discuss it with a visual design group, mm. which is probably the most active one. And luckily, when it comes to very big changes, uh, usually you either know how to do very big changes and yep. then the result is kind of good, or you don't and you get like scared of, editing so many files so yeah yeah uh, it doesn't happen that frequently uh, luckily when it does happen we try to be as con constructive as possible to actually make sure that that feature goes in unless it goes against the kd plasma like yeah, yeah. Um, ideas and goals so we just can't accept it sometimes happen and uh, that's part of the development sadly so always ask the vdg first so if someone wanted to make a like a maybe not even just a big design change, just some sort of design change to the way KDE currently functions, what would be the process that they would actually go through to do that? So they should join the VDG, uh, which you can do through either Telegram or um, Matrix. There's links if you just search for the KDE VDG. And uh, you say what you want to do. Uh, people there will tell you if that's either currently planned or being worked on. Maybe there's something uh, that's something we want, but nobody's actually working on it. So we would be very happy to see some development. Usually we give out tips on how to do things and then uh, you can actually get started. Uh, there's many repositories. You pick the right one, you see the code and I mean, you, you get started with a coding session.
that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. That <laughs> that <laughs> that's simple enough. I I didn't think it would be a super complex system, but I personally have not been involved in the KDE project. I, I my my experience with KDE is fairly limited. I typically like when I I set up a VM to test out something on stream, I will use GNOME because it annoys people in my chat. But if I was going to actually be using a, a desktop environment, I probably would at some point use KDE. I just hadn't, yeah. I had no idea how you'd actually even contribute to it. Yeah, yeah. We have, we've actually made like many web pages trying to explain as nicely as possible because I, I talked about like code changes, yeah. but there are so many ways to contribute even mm. without writing any sort of code. If you go to kd.org and you click with uh, on get involved, there's a list of like 15 different things you can do. To name another one, I do a lot of work in is promotion. You need somebody doing videos and uh, like writing announcements, getting the word out, actually going to events representing KDE. And that's just another example. So we've actually written wiki uh, pages for each of these things, also translation as an example. Mm -hmm. And you can just go there, read through them and see what's more appropriate to, uh, to you. That's actually a really helpful thing to have here because I, I've seen a lot of projects where people don't really know how to contribute if they're not a developer. Like, the Linux space has no shortage of good developers. Like, there's there's too many of them. You don't need more developers necessarily on projects. Like they are helpful, obviously, but there are other places where they might be lacking, like, especially translation. If you do know a, a second language, a lot of projects will appreciate someone who can actually translate it well. Yeah. And uh, another aspect that probably needs a lot of work and expert hands-on is uh, accessibility, mm. which is something that KDE Plasma in particular, I think, uh, does not very a good job of. But um, if I were to actually work on it, I wouldn't quite know even to get how to get yeah, started. Yeah. So maybe writing some good guides on accessibility and stuff like that would be super helpful. Like I can, I can obviously think of surface level things like, you know, um, colorblind modes and making sure you have the correct level contrast for different types of colorblindness and ensuring that screen readers work correctly. But that's basically as far as I personally would be able to get down something like accessibility. I'm sure there's much more that you could do about if you were someone who was specialized in that environment. Yeah, yeah. For, there's probably stuff like... Uh making sure that you're able to navigate the UI through um, keyboard. Mm. That's usually both up and that's already quite a difficult task to achieve, sadly, but yeah. yeah. Well, especially with how complex a lot of UIs have gotten nowadays, coming up with a way to effectively navigate that without then also stripping down the functionality of the UI can certainly be complex. Yeah, especially if you consider that um, many laptops nowadays, like mine, are touch screens, mm, and you should mm. support that, which means that you have an application that should support mouse input, keyboard input, and touch uh, screen input. That's not always very easy to actually achieve all of that, which is why KDE actually worked on Kirigami, which is a toolkit to make UIs that work nicely, both on phones, tablets, uh, desktops, and actually feel native uh, even if you're on a phone or on, on a desktop and you can use whatever input method 
what is the state of touch support on KDE? I've not even remotely thought about touch support even anywhere on Linux. Uh, I'm very much interested in that. Uh, the state of KDE touch support is improving fast, but it's still behind most competitors. Uh, as far as the um, shell goes, you're able to navigate most of the shell through touch screen. Uh, KDE Plasma shell is so much bigger, like it has so much, uh, so many functionalities compared to other shells. So it's very complicated, but. Mm -hmm. It's not very intuitive. There's lots of places where it can go wrong. I, yeah. I tried a bit ago. As far as apps go, usually the newer ones with Kurigami works super nicely because that's what they're meant to uh, do. Yeah. The older ones like o Ocular, Dolphin, uh, have been brought to some uh, touch, touch screen support to some extent. To some extent, uh, <laughs> while other apps like um, Money, I think it's called as an example, obviously never even considered that. So they're not meant for touch at all. Yeah. Uh, luckily, there's much um, much improvement going on with the Plasma Mobile project too, but uh, it's still not in a very good state, sadly. Yeah. That is, <sighs> touch support's a weird one. Like. It's a it's such a different way of designing application compared to desktop support. Like the level of accuracy you get with a mouse is very different from you know you know fat fingering everything on your screen. You have to have a different way of designing the buttons. You can't just have hey here is this tiny little radio button or tiny little checkbox. You're not really going to be able to effectively use that for the most part. Yeah, and. In my opinion, this is a bit controversial, but in my opinion, you cannot uh, do like a touch UI and a normal keyboard UI either, uh, because for a normal uh, laptop with a touch screen, it always uh, can jump between uh, keyboard usage and touch screen one. So your UI should be always kind of 3D to deal with uh, both inputs. Yeah. Kitty does have a touch. Um, attach mode, uh, which makes like the button bigger and uh, stuff like that, which actually also activates when you start touching the screen. So mm -hmm. that's useful to some extent. But even if you have touch mode uh, disabled, your app should be usable with a touch, I think. Yeah. And when I see people saying that uh, GNOME is like a mobile shell nowadays, uh, I totally disagree with that. But even if it was like, you have to design with touch in mind to some extent, mm -hmm. and you can do a different shell for touch users that won't support the keyboard. Yeah, yeah. Well, you could just go fully down the way that Windows 8 did it, just make everything massive, and then it worked perfectly on touchscreen, and, you know, yeah. it works fine on keyboard and mouse, no, but I'm, it's, <laughs> it's maybe a bit too far. I, re I remember Windows 8, it, it was not... A yeah, they. That Windows was back version. when Microsoft was also trying to push the Windows Phone, and they're like, "Let's just use the same UI on both." Yeah, I mean, it, it could work. I, I've seen GNOME do incredible effort mm -hmm. on that part, but Windows Eight was not doing it right at all. I, I didn't. I wasn't happy at all to use Windows Eight. I think Ten was much better. Yeah, I, I think they could have made it work if they did. Like eight point one when that came out, and it actually gave you the option to go back to something a bit more reasonable. I think if they didn't push the change so quickly, people could have adapted to it. But 
making that yeah. massive leap, especially from seven, where seven was, you know, what people still, I, I still talk to people today who are still using seven. Don't please, anyone who's listening to this, if you're using seven, stop. It's a security hazard. It hasn't been supported for years. But coming from that, going to then eight, it it is a really jarring experience. And I'm sure that's one of the things that KD doesn't want to, when it does want to push out these changes, doesn't want to make massive sweeping changes between versions, like completely uplifting the way that you would use your system. Yeah, we have no intention of doing that, uh, simply put. Even for Plasma 6, uh, you shouldn't have a, any massive change. It's mostly uh, work behind the scenes of bringing everything to QT6, reworking APIs, the theming system, if we get the chance to, that sort of stuff. Now, I've always asked the VDG to at least have something for the promotion team to actually talk about uh, for Plasma 6, but it shouldn't be something that completely changes um, the nature of Plasma. We won't have surely like a new theme by default, a new look, nothing like that. It will still be Plasma uh, 5.99 that becomes like uh, 6, but with the uh, uh, changes behind the scenes. I think there has been some big changes in the past, but I wasn't actually there to see them, so I can't quite comment on that. Well, you want to talk about something that doesn't have, you know, massive changes between versions. I a couple of months ago, I was doing a stream where I went back and looked at um, Ubuntu four point ten, which shipped with GNOME two point eight. And if you use GNOME two point eight, like you can clearly see that there have been changes over time, but it's still that. You can go back and use GNOME 2.8 and it still is that same sort of general overarching experience, but with a lot more polish to it. And I think that's what a lot of people would prefer with their system as opposed to, you know, as I said, with Windows 8, just changing everything. And GNOME has done that fairly well, I would think. Yeah, um, I, I actually very much like how GNOME is developing lately. Uh, the major releases that they've put out um, lately with a new overview as an example, I think has been properly conducted. And um, I, I've also done some videos looking back at very, very old KD systems. And I was quite impressed to see how much I actually recognized mm. uh, of KD Plasma and the uh, newer things. Like uh, there's the desktop, desktop toolbox, uh, which was very old apparently, and it was uh, kept until Plasma 5. something when mm -hmm. it was finally removed. And I was like, oh, it's the desktop toolbox. I, I didn't know it was that old. And it, it always, uh, it sometimes happened that I look into KDE Plasma panel code, which hasn't changed much. And I see the code, which is like 2008. So uh, 14 years ago, something like yeah. that. And I, I try to understand what something does. I ask the author who's like, that was 14 years ago. I don't know why they wrote that. So th sometimes there's some, yeah, Kitty Plasma inside. Some parts of it are very old too. Obviously those changes do need to happen. I think one of the places where you can really help out with the user's 
uh, I guess, getting used, not getting used to, like, understanding these changes and knowing why they were made. I think that's where the promotion side does get really, really useful, where you can actually say, you can sit down and show this is the new feature, like the floating panels, for example. Like, this is why we've made this change. This is what this allows you to do. And if you don't like it, then, well, this is what you can do to maybe go back to the old version. Yeah, there's a lot of work in uh, promotion to actually get the features that come in. Sometimes I think that there's actually not enough time between when the development stops and the new release is published. Mm -hmm. uh, you usually get around three months, I think, of uh, development on a new version, and then roughly one month to actually put all of that together into an announcement. And uh, uh, it's always like a run against time to actually do the video. And uh, as an example, now it's the ninth um, release uh, is on the 14th. Uh, I don't know when this is going to be pub published. Uh, like, uh, Next Thursday, so the 16th? The 16th, uh, yes. which means that it will be after the Kitty Plasma release. And I have no idea if we'll actually have an, an, a promotional video about Kitty Plasma 5.25. Like, check if there's none, you know that I'm very sad inside. If there is one, I'm very happy. I don't know yet. I, I tried to like work on some parts of it. Another um, contributor did some other parts, but we've got exams and you also got six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's your promotional video. What is the uh, biggest feature that's being added? There you go. T tell us now. <laughs> There's so many things. Like five, uh, the 5.25 is the biggest release I've ever seen of Kitty Plasma. Mm -hmm. You've got uh, the new overview, which is finally officially introduced. You've got one-to-one -one gestures. You've got the floating panels. You have the touch mode. Everything like there's significant and like Wayland has improved so much and it's not even on the announcement because everything else is so interesting and actually writing uh, the announcement page was such a trip. I was like, when it's going to end? Like another another feature, another feature, another feature. It's a super long list, and then you actually have to do videos about all of that stuff, yeah, screenshots, yeah. and it took a while. <laughs> Well, I actually did want to ask you about Wayland. I have been trying out Wayland recently with Sway, and I Wayland is a really weird one for me. I can, it it feels like it's this really great protocol that has giant gaping holes in it that really stop me from using it. Yeah. Um... Wayland inside of KDE is considered what we want to move uh, to. And yep. uh, the X11 version of KDE Plasma was actually uh, froze uh, for new features. Then it was unfroze when a maintainer changed. But it's clear that Wayland is what we're moving to. Yep. When you have like these uh, big holes in it, uh, it's always either like KDE or um, uh, other kind of specs that are uh, shared between desktop that try to address that sort of things. Overall, I think it's a better experience because uh, Wayland actually allows Kitty to implement some features like one-to-one gestures, which sadly can only work on Wayland. They only work on Wayland for GNOME as well. I don't know if Elementary managed to get them working on X11. Maybe they did, but... Um, is the kind of features that are meant to be on Wayland. So yep. you should, uh, you 
imaginary kitty user listening to this should try Wayland. And uh, I only switched to Wayland uh, on January, I think, of okay. this year. And it it went much better than I expected. Yeah. I, I, before that, it was a mess. But with the latest release, uh, .24.25, much, much better. And currently, I'm on Wayland, except when I have to use OBS, because I haven't yet figured out how to record with well, OBS. <laughs> I... Okay, so I, that's actually one of the big things that was a mess and why I hadn't tried it before, because it wasn't. You couldn't capture it. Like you couldn't capture it yeah. unless you were using. The, I think it was a a tool for GNOME. Like they had their own capture system. I don't know if KDE had their own or. Yeah, there's. Um, I don't remember the name, but uh, there's the screen sharing yeah. thingy uh, that now kind of w that now works. Yeah, uh, yeah. Also, I think through. What's an, a Pipewire, I think it is? Yeah, the, the way or... it's done now is through Pipewire yeah. with desktop portals. Yeah, um, I mean, now in theory it works, but uh, <laughs> you either get it out of the box with a distro, which I hadn't. Mm -hmm. Set, setting it up is kind of difficult and I haven't managed, so. I, for the most part, have had a good experience using the OBS Flatpak. And then... Yesterday, I was using the OBS flat pack and then it crashed. And then I opened it and it crashed and it crashed and it crashed. And then I couldn't use it. So, yep. And my, my biggest uh, fear in changing OBS version, because I actually have the packaged version from Ubuntu and not the flat, a flat pack one, yep. is that I spent three days uh, getting the hardware acceleration, acceleration working. Really? I don't want to spend another three days figuring it out again. Uh, what GPU do you have? Uh, I've, the, good question. Uh, AMD I or think Nvidia? It's, no, it, no, it's the Intel oh. semi-dedicated oh, one. I can't help you there. Yeah. But, I mean, it has improved my recording significantly, so... I want to keep it, yeah. But uh, I know maybe exporting profiles, I should be able to import it back. But I I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my main problem with recording on Wayland is it slows down my uh, the way I record. So I don't know how you use OBS, but I've got a lot of hotkeys set up, and you can't use them in Wayland because they don't have the global. Yeah. I I did talk about this recently on my channel. There's been some work done to get hotkeys, uh, basically a, a hotkey management system inside of desktop portals. It's very much a work in progress. Not sure when it's going to actually come out, but it's one of those things that it it's one of those major blockers for me. First, it was capturing, then global shortcuts. I think once those are done, those are the main things for me that stop me from actually mainly using Wayland. Once that's done, I'd be more than happy to use it. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, when I record videos, usually what I do is, uh, well, mostly what I would do with shortcuts is uh, cut certain parts of the videos to actually stop and yeah. then uh, play again. Um, or uh, what I actually do is I just record the whole thing and then I just cut uh, the parts where there's complete science, uh, yeah. silence. Yeah. Sorry. 
And when I need to cut, cut a certain part, I just shut up and do whatever. And then when I start speaking again, I know that the, the auto editor is going to pick that mm. up. So that's what I, uh, when I have to switch the, from one scene to another, I just shut up, wait a second, go to OBS, change the scene, go back and then start yep. talking. It, it works. <laughs> it's probably not the most elegant way to do mm. it, but uh, it's simple. That's what I go for. Well, speaking of it just working, I, we'll get to the baby work stuff. But firstly, what is going on with all the flickering in your videos? Have you worked that out? I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> and it's very funny that sometimes I get comments saying, oh, no, to actually fix it, you need to go and change that settings. And then I go there and it completely breaks my system. And I know... <laughs> And uh, you just have to disable tiering uh, protection. It does, doesn't work. I have no clue whatsoever. I, I'm trying to figure it out, but I think that's what's going to happen is that I'm switching to KD Neon uh, in uh, some months. Mm -hmm. So that's going to fix it. I, mean, I hope that's going to be. It doesn't happen on Wayland. Well, <laughs> Only on X11. I guess you got to use Wayland then. Yeah, but I know I don't know how to record on Wayland. Yeah, that's a problem. That <laughs> yeah. what you do is you buy a Raspberry Pi and then you use that as a capture PC. <laughs> I do have one. Have you got an extra PC lying around? <laughs> just do a capture PC. <laughs> right. It's not uh, a good I, solution, I but you know. <laughs> Yeah, I have no idea what's up with the flickering. I just hope that it's not a deal breaker. Was that happening point. before recently or is, is that a recent thing? It is a recent thing and mm -hmm. I have no idea what caused it. Okay. Um, <laughs> I I have weird problems with um my camera flickering sometimes, but I realized that was just a weird cable. I've never seen like the black flickering like you've seen on, on your captures. No, no, it's part of, I guess, compositing of Kelly Plasma. Mm -hmm. I guess that's it. Well, but, maybe, maybe uh, Baby right. Maybe she just used GNOME then. <laughs> but, well, I, I spent three months uh, recording on GNOME, actually. Okay. I, I talked about this, and I got a lot of people triggered. <laughs> <laughs> you call yourself a Kelly developer and you're using GNOME? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just checking it out, see how it goes. Yeah, it it always, went pretty well, but <laughs> like Katie might be a great desktop environment. That doesn't mean like everything about it is perfect. And maybe there's something that GNOME's doing that would fit with the the way that like KDE wants to approach things. It's not like oh. all of these different projects are just enemies with each other and can't take things that are beneficial to the users and bring them all together. Yeah, not at all. Um, there was this very representative merge request from a Kwin developer who um, introduced what's called the blend effect, which is another feature of 5.25, which is when you switch from one theme or color scheme to another, now there's a transition from the old to the newer color Ooh. scheme, which looks uh, significantly better than just all of the components updating their color. And it was implemented uh, just in the same way that GNOME had just done like the week before. And the merge request was like, this feature is inspired, brackets, copied from GNOME. 
and, and I was like, the, the, it's not like Gnome is going to come and complain. Yeah, we yeah. Just, they actually, there was this Twitter thread of the Hodor actually explaining how it works. So it was very nice. But when I switched to Gnome, uh, KD Plasma didn't have the new overview, didn't have one-to-one gestures, and Gnome did. So that was a significantly uh, a significant step forward. Now that 5.25 has those things, I can safely go back to Plasma without any regrets. Well, let's get into the um, the main thing then. <laughs> Baby Wogue. So I I saw the the first video you did back on Baby Wogue. When whenever that was, I don't even know when you first. Other uh, uh, not a community Monday. company. Yeah, ah, yeah, yes, that the very first one. Yeah, yeah, the oh, first, yeah. way way before the current war. Yeah, uh, <laughs> our relationship and Kitty's relationship with Gnome has always been weird. <laughs> Did you know um, about Baby Work before that video came out? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I, I very much did. The well, before I uh, even had um YouTube channel, uh, Baby Walk was doing videos about KDE, and it was very much known in the KDE developers chat, and not in a good way at all. <laughs> like every time a new Baby Vogue video would come out, somebody would type, "Oh no, a new Baby Vogue <laughs> video," without the link, because if you post the link of one of his videos to a KDE development chat, you're going down. So <laughs> you, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> and I actually contacted uh, Baby Vogue many times before starting my YouTube channel, asking, are, are you really sure about your latest video? Isn't anything you'd want to change, your attitude, stuff like that. So I, we actually discussed in a friendly way. And um, I always hoped to make his videos a bit more friendly and to some extent, he improved on that uh, to some extent. And um, I'm always a bit sad whenever I have to uh, go out and say, no, this video you did isn't uh, isn't appropriate uh, because I always hope that his channel would become a, a good channel of positive things. And some of the, most of the criticism that Baby Vogue does is uh, Potentially good for KDE, mm -hmm. uh, but developers are not even going to watch it if you phrase it like an insult to developers. So that's where it doesn't work. No, I, I think that's that's actually really fair. Like that's something I I've noticed with the way that I approach certain videos as well. Like there have been like back with um uh, it was the back when Arch first added its uh user-friendly installer this was like a year or so ago i do feel like i was so back when it first came out it shouldn't have been shipped with the iso it was you you could enter a, like the wrong character and it would just crash and it would like delete everything you did with your setup and it was just a mess it should never have been shipped but i feel like the way that i approached it back when i did initially talk about it was was a little bit overly aggressive but mm -hmm. i when I, whenever I am really critical of some project that I'm looking at, I tend to try to focus on what's good about it. And, you know, I'm not going to hide from the fact that some things may not be working properly, but 
I tend to like to to focus on what makes the project good and why you should like why it's still worth using even with these problems. Yeah, uh, I agree. That's what I usually try to do as well. And um, I think that it could be uh, just as fair to actually only do videos about uh, the criticism that certain projects have. If you want to do it, that's not something I would do, but uh, it's something that could be done to actually highlight the issues. Uh, but it has, it has to be done with a constructive attitude. If you bring up an issue and say, you know what you should do? You should delete all of your code and start from scratch. That's not going to get you anywhere because yeah, that's yeah. not going to happen, obviously. <laughs> and that's not uh, make the developers anymore like willing to put work into actually fixing the bug you raised. Yeah. We have a bug tracker for that. And Baby Vogue thankfully actually filed uh, some bugs that we did fix. So that's how it's supposed to go. Mm. Not doing videos saying, you know what you're, uh, you know what KD developers are doing, are doing parties, and they don't care about fi fixing actually the code. And uh, Baby Vogue did videos and videos with uh, like these uh, segments of uh, people dancing, saying this is KD developers. And I was like, oh, why? <laughs> KD is why broken by design. <laughs> And yeah, you're not going to make developers willingly yeah, put uh, work into fixing anything like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally get that. Um, one thing that one thing you did bring up in one of I, one of the episodes you did on the Baby Boy War um, was about bringing up criticisms in the video and not filing bug reports. I I don't necessarily think. Because you said if basically you should always be filing bug report if you notice a problem like that. I, I'm paraphrasing, but that's effectively if is that fair to say what you're basically saying? Uh, you should always file a bug report. Uh, if you want, you can also do other kind of like videos and stuff. But you should always at least do the bug report. Yeah. Because uh, KDE developers can't follow like third-party videos to know what's wrong with their software. They're going to wake up open up bugs.kd.org and read the list. That's how it's going to work. They're not going to read that articles and stuff. Uh, or if you do, they might forget about them. So you should always at least do the bug report. Right, OK. That, no, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page there. I I think generally that's, that's a fair place to be. Um, I think it sort of depends on what your approach to the Approach to looking at the the software is, I, I think most of the time you probably should, but I think if your if your goal instead is to be pointing out, I guess the problems with it in its current state, and like how how users can approach these problems, I don't, I, I maybe I'm wording this really badly, but I I don't even know how to say this properly. <laughs> Maybe I should have thought that one through a bit more. Um, <laughs> I think obviously you probably should be reporting the bugs when you notice something major, but a lot of the time I will I don't necessarily report every single problem that I find in like when I'm looking at software in these videos because a lot of the time I don't think a lot of these things are major problems and sometimes they're 
they're problems that I'm having, but not necessarily problems with the software itself. Like it's, it's sometimes it's a problem with the way that I'm approaching the software or some use case I'm trying to approach the software with where maybe that's not what the developer had initially intended. I hope that made any amount of sense. Yeah, no, I, I would suggest still making the bug reports. Worst case scenario, it takes uh, 30 seconds for a developer to mark it as intentional and say, actually explain why it's intentional and the bug is being closed down just for that. And uh, But it could happen that something that one person thinks is intentional is not, and it's really easy to fix if it's a very small thing. So in five minutes, it could be fixed. It happens very frequently that uh, there's a bug report that's about a very specific uh, and small problems that can be fixed quickly. And that's very much helpful to actually have. There's people who like uh, submit hundreds of bug reports about everything they see wrong. And uh, that's actually useful to actually uh, see the list of everything that could be done, even the small, smaller things which require less time. So in general, I would suggest always uh, try to take the time to uh, bug report what you see wrong. Worst case scenario, it gets closed down. That's not, it's better than not reporting a potential bug. No, that that's totally fair. No, I, I, I've definitely started to report a lot more of the problems that I've been seeing. Um, I just wanted to hear what the what a developer's perspective on that was really. I like I cuz I haven't gotten myself involved in I've done like little things like packaging some applications here and there, but I've not really got myself involved in uh, deeply involved in any sort of open source project like this. Uh oh. We lost them. Wait, you back? Yeah, uh, I should be back now. Okay. Did you hear anything I just said? I don't know where you disappeared. Except the last uh, five seconds. Okay. Um, what was I saying? Right. I like I haven't thing. personally gotten like super involved in many open source projects. Um, where was like where? What did I say? This is why I need like a, an extra guy that's like back here to tell me what I was saying. Um, <laughs> I don't know what I just said. Um, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna move on from that. Um, what? Okay. Simply what? Oh my god, is he gone again? <laughs> no! No! What is happening? Oh my god. Okay, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna go on without him from. Actually, I don't have any topics to go on without him for a moment. <laughs> I don't know if that's my side or his side either. I hope that's not my side. No, it, sh it can't be because I'm, I'm connected to Jitsi right now and it's it's publicly being hosted. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, while he's going to come back, I'm going to talk about something fun that I found. <laughs> Yay, internet. Oh, he's just completely gone. Now it's double me. Here we go. Um, so I was on Twitter earlier, and I found this. Oh, is he back? Hi. Do you hear me now? I do hear you now. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't Maybe know. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was on my side. For some reason, my I, I usually connect to Wi-Fi through an hotspot from my uh, phone uh, because okay. uh, my house Wi-Fi is so slow. Yep, yep. And I don't know why, but sometimes after one hour, 
it just goes very slow for a few seconds. Sometimes it happens. And when I'm streaming, it happens that the stream just goes down because of that. So weird. Okay. Hopefully I, I, I'm moving in uh, just three months. So oh, nice. hopefully that, that's going to improve things. Hopefully. Surely it can't get worse. Surely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm still able to do at least one hour without any issues, so that's good. <laughs> well, that's enough to upload videos, so, you know, it's fine. Yeah. Um, what I was saying before everything fell apart is why did you decide to, you know, you, you can always have this guy who seems like, they're annoying the project and everyone sort of sees them as this, like they freak out every time that he posts a video. But why did you actually decide to basically go to war with baby Wogue? Okay. So there is two reasons. The first one is that I don't think that you, you should have the platform to say things without any, at actually taking any responsibility on what you just said. If you have uh, 20,000 subscribers, and you say something that's completely untrue, you should have somebody on the other side saying, no, what you just said is untrue. And uh, I hope that uh, with some of the videos, I would be able to call out on some uh, mistakes that he did on these videos, like yeah. when he complained about the inconsistency of using radio buttons and uh, checkboxes, oh, which actually one. wasn't an inconsistency. That was by the, that was by design. So yeah, that and, was uh, so course, bad. Yeah, yeah. When I when I first saw the video, I thought, oh yeah, it's an inconsistency. But then I actually tried it, and it was not. It was by design. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's technically there's... inconsistent, but it's inconsistent because they don't do the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like consistency is everything is the same thing that they were. Of course not. That would be harmful to the user. Yeah, yeah, and um, yeah. Obviously, the second reason is that with exams, I needed some very easy to do content that would do well. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling for sure. Like I've had, actually, what has been the reception you've had from this? Because, you know, some people will freak out. I don't know if it happens with a channel at your size, but as you get bigger, there are more and more people who want you to do things a certain way. And the second you diverge from that, they don't know what to do. Suddenly everything's terrible. Well, I've, I've received some comments uh, saying that uh, they disagreed with uh, doing these videos because they said that I shouldn't give any visibility to Baby Vogue and I'm like, is twice as bigger as I am. So I'm not sure I'm the one giving any visibility, yeah. quite the opposite. And, um, but uh, I, I can just look at the numbers. Like I, people are going to say, no, don't do this kind of videos. But then I actually see the statistics and they did super well. They've got twice the uh, average view, view length mm -hmm. of usual videos. So it's not like, it's not people clicking on the videos and saying, Oh no, it's boring. Close it. Yeah. No, they're actually watching the whole video. So they are there is interesting. There is interesting in this. So as much as some comments might disagree, this is something that is interesting for my subscribers. Well, this goes back to the thing we were talking about before with users don't they're good at pointing out a problem, but they're not necessarily good at pointing out the solution. Like if you're not someone who is making videos, if you're not a developer, you don't 
you can say that here, like, this is a problem, this is something I don't like about it, but you don't necessarily have that that knowledge to actually come up with what the solution should be then. Yeah, it, it has happened to um, just regarding my channel, people saying that I should post other kinds of uh, things uh, other than the Linux world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a couple of uh, chess videos, a couple of poetry videos. Nobody watched them. Don't do that. <laughs> they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, is he gone again? The, no? Are you... Yeah. The, that was a terrible approach. Okay, you're just frozen. I'm back. Can you see me? Yeah, yeah, I could hear you for a little bit, but your camera Nice. <laughs> okay. I actually see you nicely, so... It's great, but that, my that internet's happened. not a bad one today. <laughs> Let me actually... Yeah. Uh, if it's still frozen? No, you're good, you're good. It's... Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I forgot what I was saying, too. Um, you were saying chess videos and pottery. Uh, yes, yes. They nobody watched them, and uh, it's very fair to. I, I tried, and uh, there was actually one video that kind of went well, which was uh, a chess match between a KD developer and a KD designer, because a designer uh, that, also played chess, and yeah. that was kind of fun to do. But I mean, that's clearly not the type of content that the, my subscribers want, so I didn't uh, follow up on that. I made a separate channel called yeah. Nikolov's Poetry for that. Yeah, the reason why that one did well is because it still fits kind of into your niche. Like, you're, yeah. you are, like, I guess you could still cover things that are happening in general Linux, but you are very much mainly KDE. It's like, this is KDE yeah. news, this is some project that's using KDE and things like that. So the, the chess one still had some, like, tangential relation to KDE because it's KDE dev versus KDE designer. So even though it's not your regular content, it's still in some way fit to the niche. And YouTube really, really emphasizes channels fitting into some sort of niche. Yeah. Now I'm slowly trying to back out a bit uh, from the KDE niche to a more general one about desktops and uh, hopefully then Linux. Yeah. Because also being... Uh, the kitty YouTuber, uh, as I've been described, his armful within the kitty community because um, my channel is not a kitty channel, but it's so close to kitty activities that sometimes I get uh, rightful um, criticism for things like having advertisement. Like kitty yep. is against having advertisement in their videos. But even though I'm not part of KDE, I'm so close to it that one might rightfully assume that I am. Uh, my channel is part of KDE too. Mm. And something that I wanted to emphasize lately clearly is that it is not, and I would like to move away a bit and talk about desktops as a whole. And I actually wanted to uh, start a podcast in like three months or so about desktop uh, in general, uh, what's happening in KDE KDE Plasma, uh, GNOME, and so on. That's actually a really good idea. Like, I feel like the Linux space is, it's kind of lacking in podcasts. Like, there is certainly a couple of news podcasts, and that's pretty much it from, like, the Linux podcast stance. Like, there's no one... There's just not really that many, to be honest. Like, every, there's a, a ton of Linux YouTubers doing desktop Linux stuff and all of that stuff. But when it comes to, you know, the 
really long form, just discussion content, I can maybe name like one or two. Like, I, I think they changed the name, but Big Daddy Linux is like the only one that really comes to mind. I know like Destination Linux, but that's mainly more of like a, a news show at this point. Uh, I've also been in the Linux for everyone uh, one, which yeah, is yeah. a bit inconsistent, unlikely in their. So right now it's on hold. And um, I agree on that. But my opinion is that we also need, I do see some of that. And for podcasts, I think it's also useful to have a podcast that's in the shorter uh, format, which is maybe just 10 minutes, but it has all of the news that you would need. Yep, and yep. Uh, I listen to a lot of that kind of podcasts. So my goal uh, was to make something that is actually published every weekday. So five okay. episodes a week of just 10 minutes of what happened the day before on uh, Linux desktops. And mm -hmm. I've received many comments saying there's not enough stuff happening in the Linux desktop boards for uh, actually 10 minutes. And I think those people are completely wrong because there is so much that's actually happening uh, when we speak. So yeah, I'm not even covering just like updates that are happening and i've had people telling me oh you're gonna run out of content one day like do you know how much stuff is happening <laughs> you have no idea yeah. what you're talking about yeah like the only way that i run out of content is if like open source software is made illegal like people are constantly making things yeah uh, there, and not everything is covered so i yeah, think yeah, there's but... always some room to yeah, I, I found so many, like, really small projects that do some... It's it's just, like, one really cool thing. It's like, why don't more people know about this? Like, I've had people tell me, like, this is something I would like to do. And just, like, there's a thing here. It does it. Like, use this. Yeah, I, I've seen many of that kind of projects, especially in KDE, where everything is so customizable. You've got, like... Uh, scripts that work on your color scheme, getting it from the background, which is, by the way, another feature um, coming in 5.25. Do you mean Pywall, or is there another one that does that? I know that was one of the big popular ones. The one I used uh, was called um, mat Material uh, Colors uh, something, okay. KD Material Colors, and it gets the accent color from the background and applies it tinting the windows background color so you got like everything is blueish or yellowish uh, but now that's included by default in kd plasma that's actually really cool I'm, yeah. I'm not much of a people have seen my desktop know i'm not much of a theme guy like my theme my theme if google was talking about it is a material design what it is is everything is black and there's one accent color but yeah, yeah, I, I do get it. People want to have like really nice looking desktops. My uh, my Android is uh, pure black. I just it makes sense on phones. So. Yeah, I I personally have never really gotten into the like Android customization side. I've had people talk to me about like, hey, have you do you want to try out using like the Pine phone with this desktop and this desktop? You want to try out some like. Some of the, the custom ROMs for Android. And for me, my phone, I don't really care about my phone. It just, it's there. I, I'm sure there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with it, but my focus is just on my desktop. Yeah. I usually try to spend uh, time customizing my Android phone with the goal of uh, something that actually helps me out in yep. the long term. 
as an example, um, a very stupid one is the vaccine um, QR codes that mm. you have to show in, in Italy to get inside of the things. I actually took a widget to show it always on my wallpaper, so I would just have to unlock it. And uh, I was always the first one getting into any building because I always ate 3D as an example. Oh, but do you also guys... stuff like... Oh, sorry, um, I was going to say, do you guys have like a, a QR code to show that you've had a vaccination? Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay, right, yes. right, right. And uh, also stuff like to-do lists. Uh, I have my to-dos in two lists on my home screen and I've got... Um, uh, my diary stuff, my habits tracking apps, all on my home screen, and that actually helps me see what I should do. So, I just have a launcher that gives me folders, <laughs> like yeah, really yeah. nice folders, and that's all. <laughs> and I just yeah, change yeah. my font, and that's basically as far as I go. Like I get it. it. I'm sure you can make your phone far more efficient, but my phone is basically a glorified MP3 player for the most part. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I use it a lot, so I kind of have to... Most of my life goes through the phone, like, uh, it, it, when I think about it, like, just Telegram, mm -hmm. I, I spend a lot of time oh, on right, Telegram. Yes. Yeah, and then there's Twitter and uh, TikTok I actually use a lot. And uh, so the part of actually getting new content uh, comes a lot from that. There's also listening to music, as, I've, as you've said, and I use it a lot also to track myself, my habits and that sort of thing. So I always have it. Like right now, my phone is ticking uh, uh, KD channel, uh, no, Linux channel, I called it task. And there's a Pomodoro timer to actually measure how much time I spend for each task. And I do all of that on the phone. Well, you're way more organized than I am. I have to be organized. No, I get that. <laughs> like yeah. I, uh, sorry, what were you saying? I, I work on like ten things at the same time. All yeah, the time, yeah. So, like, I've had people in in my life tell me that I like you're like really hard working. You're always making videos. You're always doing this. I don't, I don't do any. Like I, sure, maybe I work like thirty, forty hours of video, like an hour. Of, 30 or 40 hours a week on the channel. But that's not that much. Like, mm -hmm. I don't do, yeah, like, yeah. I don't do uni and make videos and develop KDE and do this and do that. Yeah. And, like, I'm chilling. Yeah. Most of the weeks, uh, I have to set a time span that's going to be used in making videos. Yeah. And usually it's uh, four hours. Yeah. Usually I have top four hours a week to do videos. And I have to fit all of my content inside of that. That's not always easy. Uh, so I have always to, trick, uh, to, to find the tricks to make it as efficient as possible. So removing the silence automatically, as an example, that's the kind of stuff that actually saves time. Mm. That's also why I don't do many live streams anymore, because uh, they take a lot of time yeah. and they reward very little in terms of views and subscribers. Yeah. So I have to optimize my time sadly I, I think live streams can work depending on what you're doing but if you're just gonna turn the camera on and just talk i think i think your your time's better spent just doing videos like yeah probably i i know there's actually a lot of people who like to like people who you know 
mainly do development who will use streaming as a way to, I guess, keep themselves focused on the development. So rather than, you know, if you're just, you know, I'm bad with time. So I, I might be like planning out a video and like, oh, I'm going to check Twitter. I'm going to watch this video. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But if you're if you're streaming everything you're doing, you sort of have to keep yourself focused on, like, oh, you don't necessarily have to interact with the chat there, but you have to keep yourself focused on what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and uh, that's actually something that I investigated when I, uh, after uh, doing my first live streams about coding, that is, is there a way to safely bring this to other aspects of my life to assure that, of course, I can't live stream me constantly, that would be (laughs) impossible, but... uh, one of the solutions that I found is to actually always have a timer when I'm doing something so that if I have to like check Twitter, I have to actually stop it, check mm-hmm. Twitter, take it back. And that's a disincentive. I've heard some people talk about Pomodoro timers. I actually never really looked into how the system actually functions. So give me like a, a basic rundown of the way that you use it at least. In theory, they should be used that uh, you spend a certain amount of time, uh, complete focus on a task then there's a pause and then you get back to focus and it's like, I don't know, uh, 45 minutes of focus and five minutes of pause. I don't use it like that. What I do is I just use uh, it as a time uh, time tracking way. So when I start doing something, I start the timer with a certain uh, tag about mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And then when I'm done, I uh, close it down. And then at the end, I uh, have all of the da- data of what I did during the day. Usually what I try to do is I try to be uh, productive, which uh, actually also means like reading uh, or playing chess that also counts as productive for uh, 12 hours a day. That is my goal. And yeah, but it also, some some of the lighter stuff is in there. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easier than it sounds. And uh, and to actually do that, you have to have almost no pause between the things. Mm-hmm. So that helps me when I'm done with something, I immediately jump to the ne- next thing. And uh, it's kind of stressful, but when you uh, get used to it, it's actually helpful in my opinion. That does sound pretty helpful, actually. Like I, I, I want to get myself better at time management. And every time I try to do something, I will keep it going for like, a week, two weeks, and then something comes up where it disrupts what I was doing. And I've got to just change things up for a little bit. And then everything just starts to unravel and I just fade back into what I was doing before. It's a problem yeah. I, I have to, it's not like I'm, I'm lacking time to get everything done. Like I get everything done. I need to get done, but I feel like I could be more efficient with the way that I'm approaching things. If I actually sat down and gave myself a system for it. Yeah, the very difficult part of it is remaining consistent mm-hmm. because there's really no use in like having a day with 16 hours of productivity instead of 12 if the week later you're going to burn out and not do anything. Yeah, yeah. So consistency is a key part of it and it's super difficult if you have like exams and stuff. Yeah. Usually I I do differentiate between weeks I'm able to be fully productive and the weeks I burned out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that also counts. I have many systems to try to keep me in line. Uh, 
not only uh, like I, I record my time, but also uh, every Sunday I actually have a form uh, that I print out and compile with everything that I did uh, the week prior and everything I want to do the next week. Jeez, you are <laughs> and, uh, really, really planned. Yeah, I'm super organized with these things but, uh, because they, they actually help me a lot. So yeah. I, I, sl I slowly like made it always more complex uh, as more time progressed. I yeah. started years ago so well yeah I, i'm i'm i i just need to take those first little steps and then stay consistent with that and then build on top of it but yeah. i don't know the, the the i'm one of those people who if you give me less time to do something i get more done like that's that's why i know that if i was to set out my scheduling properly i would get everything done i need to get done way quicker like if i um yeah. Because I've got a day job as well. If I if I start earlier than I normally would start, I still get everything done I was gonna get done if I didn't like have that start time there. It's just yeah. I'm one of those people who tend to work better under under pressure. So I need to give my I need to sort of force that pressure onto myself even when there's nothing else doing it for me. Yeah, I uh, agree. You should always, though, be careful with how much pressure you can take yeah. over a long period of time before burning out, because that's a yeah. key factor, too. And usually what I suggest as a first step is to start using uh, an application called U-Habits. Uh, I think it's just called Habits on the Play Store, but you can mm -hmm. find it as U-Habits. It, it's open source and everything. It's nicely done. And uh, you can start with just um, one, one like habit that you want to get. And uh, you set, you either see it, uh, if you've done it that day or not, you can set a goal of how many times a week you should do that. Mm -hmm. Or you can also have a more advanced uh, counting, like how many minutes or hours you work on that thing. Or for me, as an example, uh, when I study, um, I have some cards to mm -hmm. uh, study uh, and uh, I actually write down the number of cards I have studied and there's also that option you, you can set a goal and if you have a, like a couple of these things at a, as a good way you, you just have to set whether you've done that them or not and it's a way to start. You've mentioned your exams a couple of times what are you actually studying? Uh, mathematics uh, currently this exam is geometry 2 Mm-hmm. I I was always good at math, but I I never had teachers that that were good at teaching it, and I never enjoyed it. It's one of those things that I know that nowadays I I, I found way like knowing like how much great content there is on YouTube to you know learn about maths. I I definitely enjoyed it a lot more, but during my like my going through regular schooling i i hated it no matter how good i was at it yeah I, I think we do have a serious issue with how mathematics is taught in elementary and like middle school yeah yeah because i i see so many people that are actually scared of mathematics mm -hmm. and uh, i know many people who would cry if you give them a mathematical problem not because they can solve it, but because that recalls uh, the pressure during um, like tests and stuff. And uh, also the fact that mathematics is so much associated with uh, smartness, like in mm -hmm. intelligence. Uh, when it's 
not really like anybody can uh, study mathematics mm -hmm. and be proficient at it and there's no requirement of like being smart or anything and altogether these things make it so that there's a lot of pressure and you just uh, end up saying i'm not good at math just because you're afraid to fail yeah. and you don't actually end up learning anything and i do think that we should uh I, I, in my impression, we've got a lot of teachers that are good at math, but bad at actually teaching it. Yeah. And I think we should uh, make sure that maybe it's fine if uh, math, uh, math teachers only know like calculus one, mm -hmm. but they have to know how to teach it uh, to students that are young. So as I said, I think that's where a lot of the online resources get really, really helpful. Like there are a lot of people out there who are really invested in mathematics and not just that, like science and everything else that actually have a fun way of teaching it. And not just a, not just a fun way of teaching it, an engaging way of teaching it that still gets all of the, all of the points across. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the only issue is that we don't have enough. Yeah. Uh, because I've seen some like uh, 3B, 1B videos. Yeah, yeah, that's one uh, of the channels I was thinking of. Yeah. They're very good. Uh, the only issue is that there's not enough to cover mathematics yeah. uh, that you should learn as a whole. But they've helped me a lot when studying mm. like linear algebra. Their course on linear algebra is really good. And uh, I think that we should um, put effort into taking that kind of content and trying to produce more mm. that's very similar and helps you understand mathematics without any stress of actually seeing numbers. Like my end goal would be to take something and teach it without any kind of numbers in it. Because at this point, we've got so many students that are just scared of numbers existing. I think that's also re like one thing I, I have a lot more experience with is with programming. And when I was going through my degree, there were a lot of things that just the way they were teaching them just didn't make any sense. They were so tied to the language they were using. Like I was doing, um, I went through a C++ course and it, it a lot of it was focused on, um, there was a lot of search algorithms and sorting algorithms and one of the sections was focused on A-star. And if you teach A-star, focus just on the algorithm itself. It's just like, you're just saying numbers at me. Like, what are you... Like, back yeah. up a little bit. There is a more abstract way we can actually look at this. Yeah, I always, always suggest when uh, learning something and mostly when teaching it, to try to give the best uh, geometric intuition of that concept. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, like as an example, uh, <laughs> let me do actually a practical example for linear algebra. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching the determinant of a matrix, you could just say, yeah, you just take the multiplication of the diagonals, but what it actually represents is the ratio of the area before and after the transformation. Uh, the 3B, 1B videos explains that super nicely. And it's actually a much better way to understand it because if you know that the determinant is zero, then you know the area becomes zero, which means that the whole function is collapsing into a lower dimension. That but sounds cool. If you don't I have no idea what you just said, but yes, that does sound pretty cool. I stopped doing I stopped studying math at the end of high <laughs> school. <and so> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah. Like I, I, yeah. Whatever you just said does sound cool. I'm sure if that's if that's the way it was uh, addressed to me, I'm sure it would have stuck a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, linear algebra, I think, is not in the curriculum of high school, so most people don't actually meet it. But it's just after high school. Yeah, yeah. Us uh, here. I think we did have like the way um, in high school works for like your final grade is that they're like at least with my school and like my state. Sorry, uh, they break down the math class in like five different, I guess, types of math classes. So you've got like your your basic, uh, whatever their basic is. I think that was mainly focused on like statistics and graphs and things like that. Then there was like a step up from that and then a step up from that. And I think the step up would then go into things like linear algebra, calculus, things like that. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Like they don't go obviously as deep as you would in a university context, but at least introducing you to the concepts. Yeah, that's really useful, especially for calculus because... (laughs) The, when you reach a university uh, level cal- calculus, that that hits you. <laughs> so how I would argue that uh, I, I would argue that uh, calculus uh, at university is one of the toughest things to get used to. So how far are you into your study? I'm currently the second year of university. Oh, so how many years is that for you? Five. I mean. Three plus two, technically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So okay. five. I, I, when I look back on university, I I did enjoy. When we'll say like your university years are like some of your best years, I, I think there is definitely some merit to that, but I definitely didn't see it at the time. I don't know how you feel about going through it right now. Like, if it's something you're already missing your first year and how you feel about it i don't know because the first year has been a mess uh not because of university itself but because of the pandemic right and, right uh, uh in the first year i've actually been into university for only what, like one month and uh, all of the lessons were via teams mm-hmm. microsoft teams oh fun that's such a bad like <laughs> i hate microsoft Does teams teams work and... on linux or how yeah, it does work, work <laughs> for some definition of work. And, uh, but I mean, it was actually really, really hard for me to actually follow lessons uh, from Microsoft Teams. Yeah. So, um, but I mean, I'm, I, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm doing fine in, in general. It, surely not because of university, but uh, having the actually, you have more independence and that also shows in uh, university, like mm-hmm. not having to ask to go to the bathroom. Like mm-hmm. that was the per minimum. Now I actually get to the bathroom without asking. I luckily just managed to skip out on, on the pandemic. I It started in my final year um, in, I think my final semester actually. So there was, there was some plans initially because I was, um, the way it worked with my degree is uh, my final year, we did a big uh, big industry project. So you'd be working with some company and they were initially planning to fly me and uh, my group member at the time uh, out to the, the state they were in, which was uh, not going to happen because 
yeah, everything went down, borders all locked down. Yeah. I, I know, yeah. I've spoken to my younger sister about the way it's the way education is being handled now, and it's it's not great. Like some things work fine online, but others n- not so much. Yeah. Um, in general, I think that uh, well, when the pandemic hit, I was still in high school, mm-hmm. and it was the last part of high school. We do have a test uh, at the end of high school, which is pretty important. Um, Maturita is called here. And uh, honestly, the six months before that were horrible. That the worst uh, year I've seen in uh, mm-hmm. the school because nobody knew what was going on. Everybody was completely going against the rules. And uh, I, we were having fights with other students all the time. It, it was terrible. And... Uh, I see so many people saying that because, of course, this exam couldn't happen the way it happened before, so they had to simplify it. And uh, a lot of people nowadays say, yeah, it was easier because they simplified it. And I was like, it was not. It was a complete mess and nobody actually knew how to prepare to the exam. But as soon as I got to university, it was much better there, actually, mm-hmm. compared to before. And I'm not necessarily against having... Um, uh, the option of seeing lessons from mm-hmm. teams. And uh, I do think that the university should have kept that kind of thing. And luckily it didn't. Uh, it just shut down any kind of uh, mm-hmm. distance exam or anything. But uh, it was an option that was actually helpful to people not in Genoa, which is my city, or uh, that had to travel to actually get there. So I think that something uh, does... Um, uh, the the digital world can actually help university and schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents are both teacher, and uh, my father in particular uh, focuses a lot on how to get teaching done better through the use of uh, technology, and mm-hmm. it does uh, stuff like um, text adventures through Google Forms that are uh, related to history topics uh, oh. to actually teach those. So it can be helpful but uh, not if you do it terribly, which is what we did it. Yeah, I, which is what we saw. No one really knew what to do. That was the problem. It was just like, well, we either don't have any education this year or we just take what we were doing in person and put it online and just see what happens. Yeah. And the teacher, most of the teachers didn't know at all what they were supposed to do, in yeah. my opinion. And that showed we've had like tests that were like normal tests, but via uh, Google Forms. And uh, and, like if you have a computer and you have a test, you you can just Google the stuff. You can just write messages with your, that's not going to work. You can't do like reliable tests like that through like these things. That's Uh, where you start using some root kits like the lockdown browser. Yeah, no, you should like, like what we had to do for university exams was we have the computer mm. with the exam on the screen. Yeah, we have to be recorded by the computer. Yep. And we also have to have a phone on the other side of the room that records the screen and us working and our workspace. Wow. And the, the microphone should be on all of the time. So I heard all of my classmates actually like 
any sounds coming from the wait uh, oh wait it was rooms. being sent to people doing the exam it wasn't just being captured no uh, every everybody was had to be captured during the exams yeah everybody had to be on a microsoft teams called both through computer and through the telephone and oh you God. had to have all of the microphones <laughs> on so you heard everybody Th that was it and then terrible. give it to the there's a teacher's what? Why did you be in a call? That's so dumb. Yeah, they were scared that we would Google, so we no, had to be recording that, five different ways. That, no, that's what I mean. Like, record it, but don't have everyone in a call together. Like, because that's just distracting. Uh, like the way that um, the way that my uni was doing. I didn't have exams my final year, luckily, so I didn't have to deal with this, but. Uh, some of my friends who were in a younger, uh, earlier year, they would record themselves and then give the recordings off to the, the university staff, and then they would go and review it, check if you've done anything wrong. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they were scared of some... Um, maybe uh, you do it one time and then you do it again with game, right? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. They, they went with that, and it, it was not a pleasure to do that. <laughs> I think one of the things that has been an improvement out of this though is by default record everything so record lectures record classes record like if you want to go back and review it i i think that's just perfectly fine obviously it's not a replacement necessarily for a good teaching experience but i don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't record every class <laughs> Yeah, well, you should know that I am also a um, university student's representative mm -hmm. uh, in my um, university school. Mm -hmm. And um, we've had this discussion between teachers and uh, all most of the teachers, if, if not all, actually voted against recording lessons at all because they said that that was going to, like, um, they were scared that students would not follow lessons because they have the recordings and then they ah. uh, have like all everything uh, before the exam. And so we actually disabled uh, recordings completely. Oh. So we don't record anymore. And that was something that got me pretty upset, but I couldn't even complain because it was uh, coming from the university director and... Uh, I, I'm not that much of a school or a student's representative to argue with them. Would they have gotten angry if you opened up OBS and recorded it and then posted it to the students? Uh, but it's it's not even streamed. Nothing. Oh, no, I mean like when you're doing the... Uh, like when you were just in calls. Oh wait, how are you doing your classes then? Wait, my misunderstanding uh, here. In place. Uh, no, no, now oh, it's oh, in place. Okay, right, I mean, right, right. Okay. Now that we are in, in a place again... They're not doing any kind of recordings, right. uh, which is, in my opinion, a terrible idea. Like, not lectures or anything, just nothing. Yeah. And uh, when uh, it was actually uh, over Microsoft Teams, uh, the thing was to keep it, but only for one week. So you had one week to actually see the recording of it, and then it was uh, removed. Because otherwise, you get too much time to, you know, you guys have got a weird system. We like my my university always had lecture recordings. Like they they just literally have a a recording set up in every lecture hall. The other classes weren't recorded, but wow, that's I guess it makes sense like if you if 
you want to make sure people are actually paying attention, but I don't know. I've yeah, always... and... oh, sorry, I was I was gonna say I always like to go back and review before the exams happen. Yeah, I agree, and I would do that too if I had the possibility. But technically speaking, we are not a telemathic university, and so there are like laws against doing it. So okay. apparently everything we did during the pandemic was actually illegal and we just did it because nobody was going to complain because right. there was the pandemic going on. So it, it is complex as a topic here, but it got me pretty annoyed that we can just keep the recording system to actually have the lectures. Well, I guess they're going to stick with their system, but you know, the only thing you can really do then is, I guess... Uh, advocate for change to happen really and hopefully with enough people requesting it at some point they will they will realize the value in letting it happen yeah yeah i agree <laughs> well actually for one one little bit i want to get back to what we we're talking about with baby woke um i do you pre-watch the video like pre-watch his videos before going into what you're talking about them with them, or do you just go along as he says things? Well, uh, usually if I want to make a reaction video, I don't watch it before to actually have some kind of natural reaction to the video. Yeah. Uh, Baby Vogue's video, most of them, I yet already watched them uh, before starting the channel when mm -hmm. they were first published, so I knew about them, mm -hmm. but yeah. And how many videos? Do, I, I I don't know how many like videos you're planning to make on this, but I presume you've gone back and checked how much KDE content he's got, so you know how much you can do. He has done a lot of KDE videos. For now, I just decided to do three videos okay. of mine, and I'm just kind of waiting to see if Baby Vogue is going to answer because. Uh, after three videos, I've actually done a poll on my um, YouTube community page asking if I should do more. Mm -hmm. And there was like 55% saying yes, 45% saying no. So oh. it wasn't very positive. I thought, okay, maybe I should stop. And then Baby Vogue actually did a poll as well on his YouTube community <laughs> saying, should I do more videos about Nicola Venerandi? <laughs> as well. And 95% were like, yes. So oh, it's, I, I'm I, looking at it now. It's at 83% right now. That's, 83, okay. that's amazing. So, I actually expect now something to happen, I guess. Look, if he does a video on you, you have to respond. Well, it, it, he has already done two uh, mm -hmm. about me specifically. This one would be the third, and I, I would totally respond because I, I mean, <laughs> I I actually have my own like personal dislike of Baby Woke because like this this is just the most petty thing. Two or so years ago, he made a community post uh, about he made a community post about me. This granted, I'll I'll agree with him that my videos were not good back then, so that's totally fair. But he was his argument was that. Based on some paper that he didn't cite, uh, people prefer the sound of text-to-speech voices, and therefore my videos are bad, basically. He didn't cite anything. He's <laughs> just like, well... <laughs> and see, like, you you keep asking him for sources on, like, this thing about KD or this thing about, you know, stop asking for sources. That's not how we work around here. 
Yeah, no, I've seen so many of his community posts that are cringe to say the least. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't know what to expect at this point. We'll see. We'll see. I also, think in the last year, yeah. I I think you're taking what he says too seriously. I think that's the that's the main problem here. Yeah, but I mean, some things. Ah. And uh, in the last video he has done, he talked about the floating panels that I implemented. Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, yeah, I should say thank you. Uh, sorry, no, thank you, but uh, good job uh, to my enemy. And it was like, <laughs> this is uh, the his first big contribution. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you mean first? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've been at developers for years at this point. This well, he, he didn't know your name when your name was on the screen. So you, look, it could be from his perspective, the first one. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the video where uh, he, when I first uh, joined uh, Gnome, actually using it, it I had done a video saying, welcome to Gnome. Now you have to become a Gnome developer. Please join the Gnome community. <laughs> I was like, nope. But to be honest, and he also done the Father V video. That was such a trip. I don't know if you watched that one. Oh, I don't think so. The Father V thing. That that was so weird because it wasn't actually about me. It was this uh, fictional story. Mm -hmm. And he actually got my profile picture and uh, he called me Father V. And he actually took some of the videos from my poetry uh, account and he photoshopped a KD logo on me while reading poetry and as a subtitle he made like weird uh, Latin uh, noises or stuff like that mm -hmm. and in this super weird video I was like performing a satanic ritual to make somebody <laughs> switch to KD and that was the weirdest thing ever. You should totally watch that one. <laughs> I will have to go and check that one out. See this is what I'm saying. You stop taking him so seriously. <laughs> he makes videos like that. Like, sure, I, I totally get from the dev perspective, like, a channel with 20k subs saying these things about KDE, but a lot of what he's saying, just... <laughs> it, yeah, it's yeah, humor yeah. that is going way over your head. Yeah, yeah, no, that one was funny to, to, to watch, but uh, I think that we should remember that you can be as joking as you want, mm -hmm. but you still have the responsibility of what you're saying. No, that's totally uh, fair. If I, yeah, if I, if I did a video of, I don't know, Nick from the Linux experiment, which is much bigger than I am, yep. and I, I just took his videos, edited them, and then added some sentences that he never said, mm -hmm. I, I would get sued, hopefully. Like, that would be so, so such a not nice thing to do. Like. The... Well, I, I've got him I coming on. Ask. I've got him coming on the show next week, so I'll ask him uh, how he feels about that. Yeah, ask him if I have the permission to actually Photoshop Photoshop uh, videos of him. Uh, I'll make sure to do face. that. Uh, yeah. Well, this has been fun. I, I definitely enjoyed this. Me too. We're actually going. We've gone for an hour forty-five so far. I don't have much else to say i think i've covered basically everything i was gonna talk about um you've got anything else that you want to bring up uh no i think we're good well before we end i just I, I when you disappeared um i did get something fun to talk about i just want to just show you this exists because it's just cool 
It has nothing to do with KDE, but it's just cool. Let me see. Someone made a 60 FPS E ink monitor. A 60 FPS? Yeah. Let me actually see it in action. That is smooth. It's does that actually work? <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane. Like, I've seen some crazy ink stuff coming out, but that's that's incredible. No, no, I, 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 this looks too good to be true. You know, uh, I am uh, like I like ink monitors, mm. which is why, by the way, I w I'm so waiting for a pine note. Like I, mm -hmm. I just want one, and um, I, I I like them. My father is super passionate and follows everything. So I'm just going to send him the link and see what, what he says, because that looks really smooth. If I, we get I didn't think it like was that, real either, but he's going on this big explanation about how it works. Yeah, if something like this can be done, it's going to be totally, uh, I mean, it's going to be expensive, I think. <laughs> but <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be absolutely a great step forward for this kind of things. I don't know what you would use it for, because Ian, like, Ian's great oh, for readers, but like, you would, what would you want to use a 60 FPS Ian display for? I mean, as like a monitor, um, as a tablet, everything that's currently done, and there's a lot to like into having an like fully Android Ink uh, device. Uh, Right now, the main issue is the refresh rate, mm. and uh, it is very good for anything like even reading articles or uh, scrolling through Twitter, uh, writing, reading ebooks, obviously, but mm. not just that. Anything that actually involves uh, getting content uh, that's not uh, maybe in the video form, mm. uh, actually reading it on something that doesn't have lights coming to your eyes is easier uh, to actually do. Um, as an example, uh, playing chess on an A-Ink would probably go much, because I, uh, when I do a serious match, there's hours of chess matches, yeah, and yeah. on a screen, after a, a bit, it gets tiring. Mm. On A-Ink, it's uh, already much better. So there's a lot to like into uh, such monitor, and uh, I would totally buy one. One of the guys in this thread mentioned uh, it might be good for coding. Yeah, probably anything that have a. Did you cut out again? Tag is probably. You're back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean, you lose uh, syntax highlighting. Yes, that's true. This has to be said. Um, but if you're okay with giving up colors, uh, it's a step forward. I have seen this is way further behind, but there are some like three color ink displays. Yeah, I, they've always been a bit, um, colors are a bit shallow and the black also um, ends up being not as good as mm -hmm. a normal ink. So, but it, it is uh, an interesting direction. Right now, I'm mostly like focused on the white and black ones. Yep, yep. Either way, it, it, it just looks cool. I like cool tech like this. And, uh, you know, even if it's right now an absolute hack together job to get it functioning, I still think it's cool. Yeah, it, it's uh, very impressive. Well, anyway, that's going to be basically it then. Um, 
how about you let people know where they can find you? Yep. Uh... In, th- in theory, I have a website which is actually broken, oh, but well. you can still find. <laughs> Unluckily, uh, I-, I forgot to configure Caddy correctly. Uh, however, you can find me on YouTube as Nicolo B, uh, and I make uh, videos about Caddy Linux in general. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, and I still mostly talk about Linux stuff. You can find me on Instagram as Vigero. Yes, and there I do actually poetry videos in Italian. I'm also on TikTok, still for poetry videos, as Nico Loves Poetry. And on YouTube as well, same nickname, always for poetries. These are the kind of things I do. And uh, for other kinds of projects, I have a GitHub with uh, my Python uh, mainly. I do like text adventures, uh, mm-hmm. this sort of stuff. And um, if you want a more general thing, you can go to my older website, which is called nicolo.venerandi.com. Well, I'll uh, put all of that in the description. If you remember anything that you want me to add, um, you already listed off a bunch of things, but if you remember anything else, yeah. then uh, just send me a link. I'll, I'll go and put it there. That's all the social networks I have set up and that I regularly use. Okay, okay. Are you sure? You sure you didn't have like some other one with outside of that ten list of things? I mean, technically speaking, I also have Mastodon, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> but I don't use it enough, so uh, I, I have my Mastodon basically just synced to my Twitter. So everything I say on Twitter just goes over there. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good approach to actually make sure it's active. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah, I've enjoyed this. Uh, for me, you guys can find me over on my gaming channel, Brody Robson Plays. I've got my main channel, which you'll probably hear from, uh, Brody Robson. I do Linux videos, all that fun sort of stuff. If you're listening to the audio version, the video version of this is on YouTube at Tech of a T. The audio version, if you just look up Tech of a T on anywhere you have a podcast listing, you're probably going to find it. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. I'll give you the last word. What do you want to say? Uh, thanks everybody for watching don't forget to subscribe and uh, uh, ring the bell that sort of stuff i mean at this point at the end that's what i usually say Mm -hmm. i uh you know what i probably should come up with some outro but i just let the guests do it for the most part (laughs) you should warn them though (laughs) no no not gonna happen i never warn them they're always surprised yeah that's fun well that's gonna be it then see you guys later